Hey, faithful listener, welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. Hello, friends and faithful listeners, you've tuned in to the Bible Explained podcast on this lovely Tuesday morning. It's just been beautiful out where I'm at. So gorgeous. The weather has been perfect, in my opinion, like literally perfect sunshine. The, there's not even like a breeze. I have my windows open today. Like I'm, I'm literally looking outside right now and I see I don't even see any of the leaves moving on the trees. That is how still it is right now. And so I have my windows open. Hopefully you guys can hear some nice ambience in the background, <laughs> like one of those nice relaxing podcasts. <laughs> Where you hear the the pretty sounds in the background. That's what I'm doing today. And guess what else is happening today? I'm going to be reading out of the King James Version. That's right. I'm going to be reading out of the good old KJV, which is the version I grew up on, actually. But in recent years, I have turned to the NLT version because I love the NLT version. I think it's a great version. But on the podcast, you guys know that I read out of the WEB because it's a public domain version of the Bible. All the other versions of the Bible, except for the KJV, actually, and the WEB and a handful of others, they're all copyrighted, actually. And so I'm not technically allowed to read them on the air without getting permission. So that's why I stick with the WEB version, because it's a little bit easier to understand than the King James version. But today I am going to be reading out of the KJV, because the KJV actually adds some verses in to Acts chapter 9. And so I'm going to talk about the verses that the KJV adds in. And we're going to discuss this. This is Saul on his way to Damascus when he encounters Jesus. So let's discuss this. Let's read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Please feel free to read the version that you prefer, but you may not get the verses that I'm about to read to you today. So just listen along as you sip your cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and read Acts 9, 1 through 9 out of the King James Version. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Okay, so that was the KJV. There was a couple of tongue twisters in there, specifically the part where it says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? <laughs> I don't know why I had to repeat that, that phrase like five times before I got it right. So yeah, a handful of uh, tongue twisters there. But let's go ahead and talk about verse one. And I'm going to be switching back and forth between the KJV that I just read out of and also the WEB, uh, just for some more context here. 
So it says here in verse one out of the W.E.B. that Saul was still breathing threats and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. So you know that Saul, he really hated the early church. He was actually the big cause of persecution with the early church after Stephen was initially martyred. Saul was totally okay with Stephen being martyred out in the streets, and he took it further. He decided to go to all over the the Jerusalem region to fight against the early church, which, by the way, the early church referred to themselves as the way, which is kind of a cool name, I think. And I found out actually from a listener of the podcast recently that there is actually a a church denomination that is not super good called the way. It's actually a little bit more like a cult. But um, I didn't know that there was any church denomination called the way. But I still think it's a really cool name. And that's what the early church called themselves. They called themselves the way. And the W.E.B. mentions that in verse two, it says that if Paul found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, yes, that was the name of the early church. But anyway, Saul, who is totally against the way, ends up going to the high priest, who we know was Caiaphas at this time. Caiaphas was the same high priest who helped put Jesus to death. Caiaphas and Annas, basically together, pretty much served as the high priest. We know that there was a lot of corruption in that family. Annas was like the big guy. He was the guy that kind of, pulled the strings behind everything. And Caiaphas was Annas's uh, son-in-law. So he actually became the high priest and Annas um, still was kind of the high priest behind the scenes. That's why you see it switch back and forth between Annas and Caiaphas over the Gospels and a little bit in Acts as well. It's because it basically didn't matter. Annas was the high priest behind the scenes, if that makes sense. But Caiaphas was like the, the figurehead of the high priest. Saul goes to the high priest who is likely Caiaphas and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So this means that Saul specifically went to the high priest so that he could go to Damascus so he could travel to a different area, not just Jerusalem anymore, but a different area now so he could persecute the Christians in a different area and bring them back to Jerusalem to have them tried. And have them put to death, hopefully, in Saul's mind and also the minds of the Pharisees at the time. The the high priest obviously gives him letters. The high priest doesn't care, probably hates Christians as much as Saul does. So he gives Saul letters so that he could travel to Damascus to start persecuting the church in Damascus. So Saul takes his letters from the high priest. He starts traveling along the road and he also was planning on persecuting both men and women, which is also something kind of interesting because that was a little bit less common. Persecution of women in general is a lot less common. But Saul hated the church so much that he was willing to even put women and mothers to death because they followed the the teachings of Jesus. And so, and it specifically mentions that here, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul gets his papers from the high priest. He's traveling merrily along and he's getting close to the city of Damascus. And suddenly this bright light shines around him from the sky. And we find out later that Paul retells the story multiple times. And Paul actually mentions that this bright light 
was brighter than the sun. So this would have been midday. And Paul says that suddenly there was this light that was way, way brighter than the sun that hit my eyes and I fell to the earth is what Saul mentioned saying. Now, I remember as a kid, I had like a picture Bible and I remember seeing like a painting of Paul up on a horse, like falling backwards off the horse because he saw the bright light. But I really doubt Saul was on a horse, mainly because it doesn't mention a horse anywhere in the the multiple retellings of this story from scripture. And secondly, I don't really know if the Pharisees used horses too much in these days. I don't know if Israelite, I mean, I mean, I'm sure some Israelites used horses, but I think that was probably more for like the Romans and warriors, at least from all the depictions I've seen. I, I imagine that Paul was probably traveling on foot. That's just my thought, though. And when I looked this up, um, most commentators agree that Paul or Saul, sorry, I, I keep going back to Paul because his that's commonly his name, by the way. Um, but he was probably not on a horse. And most people agree that he was likely not on, on a horse. He's probably traveling on foot with his companions and he ends up falling to the earth. And the reason he falls to the earth is because every single time, pretty much throughout scripture, except for a few occasions, whenever God's presence is shown to somebody, they fall over like dead because they are absolutely terrified by God's amazing presence because God is so much bigger and better than us. He's so much better. And so when we are encountering this amazing, awe-inspiring power surrounding us, there's nothing we can do. Like we are literally powerless to that. And so Saul falls to the earth, terrified. And he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But what's interesting about Saul's response here is he doesn't actually answer the question. Instead, he says, who are you, Lord? And by the way, Lord here could also be interpreted as sir. So this means that Saul had to have been extremely confused because this amazing power is surrounding him, right? This power that he knows is God's power because he falls literally to the earth. But yet he's hearing the voice of a man speaking to him. And so while he's on the ground with his face toward the ground in complete and total surrender, he hears the voice of a man and Pharisees, who Saul is a part of, Pharisees back in these days did not believe that God actually spoke to human beings. They believed that God was kind of done speaking to people after the prophets. So Pharisees did not think that God still spoke to human beings. And so Saul is probably so confused because he recognizes God's power surrounding him. But he also has this belief, this incorrect belief that God doesn't speak to human beings anymore. So here's the voice of the man saying, Saul, Saul, with so much emotion, why are you persecuting me? Why do you persecute me? So he says, who are you? Who is speaking to me? And then the Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul would have absolutely recognized that uh, <laughs> this was Jesus, you know, like Jesus of Nazareth, who was speaking to Saul. But now if you flip back over to the King James Version from the WEB, which I was reading out of just now, 
you'll notice that there's a little verse kind of stuck in there or a little part to the verse that's stuck in there that the W.E.B. doesn't have. In verse five, the KJV says, um, Paul says, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So I don't know if you guys know the old Johnny Cash song, (laughs) Uh, When the Man Comes Around. It's one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs, actually. But there's a part in it that uh, Johnny Cash sings about. I don't know if you guys know the song, but it's it goes like, uh, the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And like that's <laughs> that's the song, but um, the 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 term "kick against the pricks" is added here in the King James version because later on in Acts. When Paul retells this story of what happened to him, Paul or Saul, he mentions that Jesus said this to him. I believe it's in Acts chapter 26, actually, but Luke didn't include it in Acts chapter 9. But when the writers of the King James Version came around, they added it in to Acts chapter 9. So it is the truth. Now, I don't know if it was a good thing or not for the the writers of the King James Version to add this verse in where it wasn't initially in a part of, but it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't make that much of a difference because Jesus did say this to Paul. And we know that based upon Paul's recounting of this in Acts chapter 26, like Luke does add it in Acts chapter 26, but Luke, the original writer of Acts, didn't add it in here in Acts chapter nine. But either way, let's talk about what this means. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So Jesus says this to Saul, because don't forget that Saul understood what the way was. Saul heard Stephen's testimony with his own ears. He heard everything that Stephen had to say about the Pharisees, about how the Holy Spirit no longer lived in the temple, and other things about the the Jewish religion that Jesus had come to fulfill. Saul heard all of these things, but yet was fighting against them completely. He was choosing to persecute Jesus instead of listening to the truth of Jesus. And that's what Jesus means when he tells Saul that he is kicking against the pricks because a prick is like a goad. It's something that a farmer will use to goad along the oxen so that they walk in the the way that the farmer wants them to walk. But if an oxen is super stubborn, he's going to try to fight against the farmer and fight against that ox goad and kick against it. And that's basically what Jesus is saying to, to Saul. He's like, Saul, you're hearing the truth. And for some reason, you're fighting against it. But it's hard for you to do that. Don't do it any longer. Don't persecute me. Don't persecute my people. So he tells Saul that it's, it's hard for him to do this. Because the more that people fight against the truth, the more miserable they become. I don't know if you've noticed this in your own life or with people that you might know, but I've noticed it. I've noticed that um, when people fight against the truth, they end up becoming just more and more miserable over time. I know specifically, I've mentioned her before on the podcast, I have a friend who isn't a friend any longer. And I feel very sorry about that because she and I grew apart because as I got out of hair and started doing 
more of this kind of stuff, like Christian based media, she started unfollowing me and started not wanting to hear it. And that was years ago. And then I I recently tried to look her up again to see how she's doing. And uh, it's just very sad. It's it's very sad um, the way that she's living. And she does not seem happy. She seems extremely miserable. And it's not just her. There's a lot of people where that happens to when they hear the truth and they fight against it. They're kicking against it. They just become sadder and sadder and more miserable. It's actually harder for them to kick against that, like Jesus mentions here, than it is for somebody to just allow God to lead them down the correct path. And so Jesus tells Saul, you're in for misery if you keep doing this, if you keep kicking against the truth. So the King James Version adds another verse in here where Saul actually says, what should I do? What do you want me to do? And that, once again, is mentioned later on when Paul retells the story. It wasn't included in Luke's original account of Acts chapter 9, but it was included later on in the account of Acts, which the KJV added that in as well. But Saul did say that to Jesus. He asked Jesus, what do you want me to do? Like, how should I fix this? And that kind of shows that Saul, in a sense, did have a heart for it, that Saul has just encountered Jesus up close and personal, realizing that he is God, that Jesus is God. And so Saul comes to a place of complete surrender. Notice how when Jesus mentions the whole, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, the very next thing out of Saul's mouth is, well, where do you want me to go? And what should I do? So Saul is no longer kicking against the, the, the goad. Instead, now he's coming to a place where he recognizes that he needs to follow um, what Jesus tells him to do. What do you want me to do? So then Jesus mentions, and this is in the W.E.B. as well, rise up and enter into the city. Then you will be told what you must do. So the men who traveled with Saul stood speechless. It says in verse seven, hearing a sound, but seeing no one. (laughs) So these These men behind Saul don't see the bright light at all. They see Saul just like literally fall to the ground. And the men behind Saul end up hearing the voice, but not seeing anything. And they're just like confused out of their minds. Now, I don't know if it's because the men who were with Saul were other Pharisees. And perhaps they didn't have the heart to see what Saul was seeing. If that makes sense, like they, their heart wasn't open to it. They weren't in tune to it. Or it could just be that this vision was not for them. It was for Saul only. And they were able to catch like remnants of this vision by hearing a voice, but seeing no one. I don't know. But somehow Saul was the only one who saw the bright light and saw the vision. And the men behind Saul knew that he saw the vision because when Saul arose from the ground, he was blinded by this bright intense light. He was completely blinded. And so his companions had to lead him by the hand. And so they brought him into Damascus. And so now Saul is distraught. He's absolutely distraught because think about it. Imagine, imagine seeing Jesus after you sinned greatly. And Jesus is like, why did you sin against me? And then you're blinded after that. 
I can imagine you probably think that you're going to be blinded for the rest of your life. You're probably going to be thinking about that moment forever, believing that you're blinded. Like that's just, that is what it is. And so it says he was without sight for three days and he neither ate nor drank. This means that he was distraught. Like Saul was absolutely distraught to the point where he wouldn't even drink anything. Like he's wasting away, dying in blind misery because of of the vision that he just saw of Jesus. And you can imagine that Saul sitting there blind in misery, not eating and drinking anything, is replaying this scene over and over and over in his head and really beginning to think about it. And his heart is getting turned towards God even more at this point in time. So the question is, why did Jesus do this? Because this is not common. Jesus doesn't regularly scare people with a bright light and tell them to to go on the right path. He doesn't do that often. But maybe Jesus saw something in Saul that other Pharisees just didn't have. And Saul, later on when he, he becomes Paul, he kind of alludes to that, actually. He mentions that because Paul had such a heart for the Old Testament law and because he even had a heart towards God in a sense, even though he was he was fighting against God by further persecuting Jesus, he still, in a way, had a heart for God. But he was being misguided and he was believing the lies of the Pharisees and the lies that he had grown up with and become so accustomed to that he didn't want to see the truth until Jesus, pure as day, showed him the truth and scared him. And he remained blind for three days. And that's the thing. It's almost like a, in a way, like an analogy, Paul's blindness of how his life was before Jesus. He was purposefully being blind, refusing to see the truth. In the past, he was choosing darkness and choosing blindness over seeing the truth. And so I think that's almost like an interesting analogy that Jesus gives him by uh, by blinding him. And it says that he was also without sight for three days, which is another analogy of Jesus, you know, being dead and buried for three days. I'm sure Saul heard that story multiple times as well when he was persecuting the way, when he was persecuting the church. So Saul had a lot to think about for these three days while he's sitting there blind and not eating and not drinking. And he was probably extremely humbled during this time period. I'm sure God was really working on his heart. And though I don't think that Jesus often does this nowadays, one thing that Jesus does do to turn people's hearts towards him, Jesus will use struggles to make people's hearts turn back toward him. And I know that from personal experience, and I know other people who have gone through brokenness and came out better in the end because of that initial brokenness that they had to go through. So in a way, Jesus does work in the same way, though he doesn't often appear to people right in front of them, but he will use some amount of brokenness to get people to turn toward him so that they can start to understand him even better. So does Saul regain his sight? We're going to find out on Thursday. So I hope you tune in then that you also check out the podcast tomorrow, which will be in the Old Testament tomorrow, discussing the life of Samson. 
So uh, he's an interesting and very crazy judge of the Old Testament. We're going to talk about him. So good things are coming up on the podcast. Check out Seven Weeks Coffee, the coffee brand that supports life. They now offer ground coffee and K-Cups. Use code 7 for 10% off your first purchase. And also use my link because 10% not only goes to pregnancy centers across the U.S., but also 10% benefits P40 Ministries as well. Faithful listeners, have a wonderful rest of your day. Happy listening and God bless.